1: grace and peace to you and welcome to Reaching for Real Life with Sean Azaro, the senior pastor of River City Community Church in San Antonio, Texas, a church that exists to help people just like you find the real life you were created for and find it to the full. That's what Jesus promised in John 10.10. And today we continue in a series called The Faith that's based on the book of Titus, a letter to Titus from the Apostle Paul, as Pastor Sean is in chapter two now, and it's all about making disciples. But Let's start with you. How are you doing in your spiritual growth? And how do you measure that? Sean will have us look at our habits, our behaviors, and the words that come out of our mouth. Look out. Reallife.org has this full message, sermon notes, and series available for free. And if you feel led to bless this listener-supported radio ministry, then please do. There's a place to give at reallife.org. Today is part two of the message called Transformed. Pastor Sean is in Titus chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians. It's time for Reaching for Real Life Radio.
2: Interestingly... you know, I was reading a guy who I follow's blog, and he wrote an interesting article on something that happened recently on the show, The Bachelorette. And I'll say, I went and researched, because I don't just take things at face value, I went and researched this, and uh, it made me glad I don't watch the show. Sorry. If if that's your favorite show, I'm sorry, and I don't want to offend you, and I will pray for you. It's a dating-based reality TV show where a bachelorette ultimately selects a potential husband from a pool of these potential suitors, these bachelors, right? And with one being eliminated, each episode, it's kind of a romantic survivor, okay? You get voted off the island, and the the only vote is the bachelorette. She gets to throw guys off as they offend her. That's kind of fun, okay, I guess. The idea. But the most recent bachelor is a professed Christian. She was very public about that, and it was a big part of their story. Her name's Hannah Brown. And she eliminated another professed Christian, Luke Parker. I'm like, if you're a Christian, why are you going on this show? And I don't mean that it's unchristian to go on the show, but it's just not wise. Didn't you know what was going to happen? The one thing about reality TV I find is it's anything but real. But anyway, he's also an outspoken Christian. And she threw him off the show. After they had this dating relationship, it looked like it was going to go somewhere. Well, he threw him off because he expressed his belief that sex outside of marriage is wrong and suggested that he would not be interested in continuing their, quote, relationship if she intended on being intimate with bachelors on the, as part of the show, with, like, the contestants as part of the show. And he, he expressed this, kind of assuming their shared Christian value of purity. Well, I want to just want to say... When he did that, she got mad. He has been roasted and made a villain by pretty much everyone on the show, associated with the show. The Twitterverse has gone insane over him. He's being publicly flogged for being judgmental, for misogyny, for toxic masculinity, for being abusive, controlling behavior, all the above. All, and his big crime is that he said he wanted to save sex for marriage, and he hoped that she as a Christian would feel the same way. Now, I don't know what he was like. He may have been a putz in every other way, but that's the thing that got him thrown off the show. And she unapologetically, in that process, admitted. She'd been intimate four different times with another one of the contestants in a thing they call the windmill. And her money statement, her money quote was, yeah, I have had sex and Jesus still loves me. And the idea is she intends to continue. And she's now on this like kind of tour of redefining what it means to be a Christian woman and a woman from the South. And it's just this whole process a big thing that gets quoted over and over, I've had sex and Jesus still loves me. And I want to say, yes, sweetheart, he does. That's true. He does love you a lot. He loves every person who ever walked the face of the earth. And that includes every person in hell. It's true. Jesus loves us. But you don't misunderstand his love as, as him being easy or him not. You remember, God hates sin because it kills those he loves. It's his love that causes him to really hate sin. I mean, Jesus, I I don't want to burst your bubble. Jesus taught about hell, and he wasn't playing. You remember, Jesus is the one that says, um, if your eye offends you or causes you to sin, gouge it out. Because it's better to go into heaven maimed than into hell fully whole. Oh, isn't Jesus gentle and sweet? He's so so passive and timid. Yeah, if your hand offends you and causes you to sin, cut it off. Because it's better to go into heaven maimed than into hell whole doesn't sound like Jesus is playing to me. Look at what he said in Matthew 7. And by the way, interestingly, this is the passage. It begins, Matthew 7, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount. He, this is Matthew 7 is where he says, Judge not lest you be judged. And he teaches you what he means by that. And you read that whole passage and it gives some context. But look what he says in verse 13 through 23. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. You mean our behaviors, our thoughts, and our actions create fruit, and it's okay for us to look at that fruit and see what's happening? Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit, look, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by your fruit, you will recognize him. Look what he says next. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, and your name drive out demons, and your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You see, Jesus isn't playing because he knows what's at stake. He loves you, and he loves you intensely. I mean, you have no idea how much he loves you. But I want to say, unless we repent and turn our life to him, that love will cause him to be brokenhearted as he sees us separated from God for eternity. That's what the scripture says. And God's heart breaks over that. You see, this passage is all about giving us specific examples of this new life. Saying your life should be different because your life has been changed. Phrase he uses over and over again, if you read through the passages, to be. Old men are to be. Older women are to be. Younger women, younger men are to be. That to be. In other words, it's about something we become, teaching us to become something. Last week, Ryan, I thought he did a great job, and he, and he taught us. He said, God's not concerned with how you look. He's concerned with who you are. God's not concerned with how you look that outward appearance, but he's concerned with who you are. But, but now coming into this next chapter, Paul switches that. He continues the next thought in the line. Here in chapter 2, he moves from this idea of artificial righteousness based on appearance, which is what the circumcision caste was all about, that circumcision group. They were all about this outer righteousness, but inwardly, Jesus said, you clean the outside of the cup, but inside, it's filthy. So he says it's all about what happens on the inside. See, he moves on though in chapter 2 from artificial righteousness based on appearance to real righteousness based on transformation. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Here's the main point. The best measure of who you are on the inside is who you're becoming on the outside. See, the best measure of who you are on the inside is who you're becoming on the outside. It's all about the inside. It's all about what happens in your heart. But it doesn't stay there. That's the thing. Heart change always leaks. It always changes your vision. It always changes your speech. It always changes your behavior. That's what he's getting at in in chapter two. He's not talking about legalism. Like, guys, straighten up and look good. I don't care what's happening on the inside, but at least look good. That's the exact opposite of what he's saying. But what he is saying is, hey, the best measure of who you are on the inside is who you're becoming on the outside. Faith on the inside always manifests in how we see life and how we actually behave. If If we say, I have faith, but... I don't act on my faith, then the question is, wait a minute, do I really have faith? Or do I just kind of have wishful thinking that I had faith, but I don't? Love, on the inside, is always going to come out and work its way out in how we speak to people, how we talk, how we interact with people, how we treat people. It's going to work its way out. The best measure of who you are on the inside is who you become on the outside. See, stop and think about it. Growth, change, transformation of any kind, it always involves, and it starts on the inside and works its way out, but it involves moving from one thing to another, The idea is you were this and you become this. This is what disciples do. This is what happens when a person's heart and spirit is brought alive in Christ. Something changes in them. And they fundamentally begin to see the world differently because of what God has done in their hearts and in their lives. And they move from this to this. And I want to real quickly highlight three transformations that Paul points to here in this passage. Okay, Three kind of transformations you move from to. First is move from self-fulfillment to self-control. And what's fascinating about this is four times in that brief passage we read, Paul talked about self-control. Three of this groups specifically, the older men, the younger women, and the younger men, he said self-control. And all the older women go, yeah, that's right, because we got it down. Mm. No, but then he put a blanket one in later for everybody. Okay, sorry, ladies. We're all in this thing. And, and what he's saying is, is what we need to do is move from this fixation and focus on self-fulfillment and move to the idea of self-control self-control. He says it over and over and over again. And really what we're talking about is flesh control. Isn't it? That's what we're talking about. When we talk about the self, we're talking about flesh control. Look what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20. Talking specifically about the flesh, he says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Is, is Paul saying that this sends you kind of to a, a deeper separation from God? Is saying this sin is fundamentally worse than others? Is that what he's saying? You're confused right now, aren't you? I don't know. I don't believe he is all saying, because I think all sin separates us from God. All sin grieves the heart of God. And if it's, if it's not dealt with, will separate us for eternity. What he's saying, though, is sexual sin is against the body. It's the consequences. You deal with the consequences of this sin. That's what he's pointing out. He's saying they're very close to home. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Man, that is such an important concept. We all need to grab this as followers of Jesus who are filled with the Spirit. Our body, the part of the world that we, the part of us that interacts with the world that moves and acts and, and carries out our vision and our will, our body, he says, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. And look at where he seals the deal. You are not your own, Gulp. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price.
1: And let's take a quick minute to remind you, you're listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio with Pastor Sean Azaro, a listener supported ministry of River City Community Church in this message called Transformed. It's in the series The Faith, based on the book of Titus, which is available right now at reallife.org. And while you're there, if you've been blessed by this teaching, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue to help others. Just find the Give tab at reallife.org. And if you're looking for a new church home, here's your invitation from Pastor Sean.
2: River City Community Church is a church for real life. River City is come as you are and has a relaxed, casual feel with practical teaching, inspirational worship, and age-appropriate ministry for the whole family. We're located a mile and a half outside of Loop 1604 on Lookout Road across from Rotoma Park. River City is a church for real life, and so our home on the web is reallife.org. We hope you'll come and see us as you travel the road to real life.
1: And now the conclusion to the message, Transformed. This is Reaching for Real Life
2: Radio. God created us and we're his by right. And then when I sold myself into the slavery of sin, Jesus bought me back with his death on the cross, paying my death penalty and setting me free. I'm his twice by right. And that's what he's saying. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He's talking specifically about sexual purity here. It's not a game. But that concept is about like everything. It's like I I need to, my life's not my own. But that means my career is not my own. I I can be all about self-fulfillment in my career. I want to go to the next level. I want to make more money. I want to achieve. I want the accolades. I want all the stuff. And I become a follower of Jesus Christ. I become a vessel, a temple of the Holy Spirit. My life's not my own. Now my career is different. My career is to serve Him. Doesn't mean I don't have my career. But all of a sudden, I'm living and working as a child of God, as a servant of the King. And that changes it. My family, not my own. I don't just get to do what I want. Lord, what do you want to do? I mean, we talk about even where we live, what we drive, these little mundane decisions. You go, what? God doesn't care about that. He cares about everything because he cares about you. He cares about the things you care about, how I handle my money, what I invest in, what I don't invest in. All of it. Your life is not your own. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. See, I move from this fixation on self-fulfillment, me being fulfilled and self being actualized and exalted to self-control. And what's interesting, he says, not only that, but thankfully this is a fruit of the Spirit. And this is kind of the trump card, okay? This is the, this is the thing that really helps you deal with this. Because you're like, oh man, God's asking me to be, i got to muscle it up. I no, actually, self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance, or self-control. And so in in reality, he says, you need to be self-controlled, and I'm going to give you my spirit who will give you the strength. It's really spirit-controlled, isn't it? That's what we're talking about. Instead of flesh-controlled, we're talking spirit-controlled. And so that's the good news. You don't have to do this in your own power. He wants to empower you to do it. But we have to be committed to his process and his work. Our life's not our own. We move from self-fulfillment to self-control. The best measure of who you are on the inside is who you're becoming on the outside. That's what Paul's trying to tell us. Second thing, from personal rights to relational responsibility. From personal rights to relational responsibility. We love our rights. We live in a nation where our Constitution has the Bill of Rights. And we know our rights. And we'll fight for our rights. But what he's doing is he's saying, while, while you may have rights, he's saying... What I want you to do is have relational responsibility. And it's interesting that all these are in the context of the relationships because we are a family. That's who we are. We are a family. And we have responsibility one to another. Think about the context of a family. How many times, parents, do you have to lay down your rights? You have a right to a good night's sleep. I just talked last night to Chris and Shelly Signs who have a brand new baby. They have two. Okay, And now they have a brand new baby in the home. And they have that, that happy, but, you know, you know the look, right? That, uh, you know, it's great. We love them all so much. How much are you sleeping? You've you, you got to kind of intervene. Hey, talk to me. Wake up. You okay? Oh, I think we got three hours the other night. It was great. Oh, we slept in until two. <laughs> you know, you've had the conversations. They have, a, they have a right to a good night's sleep like anybody. But they lay down their rights because that's their baby. And their baby's got to be taken care of. You, know, you may have a right to certain things, but you take care of your family. You invest, And he's saying, you are a family. Older men, you have a responsibility. Older women, you have a responsibility. Younger women, you have a responsibility. Younger men, you have a responsibility. You get, move from personal rights to relational responsibility. That's what he's saying. And he uses those phrases, those three words that he uses at Titus. Teach, encourage, and rebuke. Teach, encourage, and rebuke. We have a responsibility to teach one another. We live in a world that reminds us all, that that teaches us things all the time that are totally against the word of God. And it's everywhere. And it's bombarding our minds. And we're supposed to come together and remind each other that, oh yeah, that's not the whole truth. (laughs) And so many of those things are absolutely false. There really is a God and he really does love us and he really does fill us with his spirit and he really does have a plan for our lives. When we gather, we teach the Word of God. We encourage each other through our worship together. I mean, that time of worship isn't just about, hey, man, aren't those songs cool? Oh, I love that guitar part. If that's what worship is for you, please stop it. Maybe we need to to do do a time or two where there is none of that. And we just worship is about all of us kind of together as the community saying, God. All those other things that the world says are on the throne are, are all key. My job, my company, the, the government, the news, the things I'm facing, they're not God. And all those other things are torn down, brought down, and only one remains. That's worship. He's, worship is what's first in your heart. It's not a song service. I love, and it's biblical to sing spiritual songs it's in the scriptures. It's fine. But let's just remember what it is. Okay, the, the worship, what we're doing here is we are expressing our adoration, our worship, and we are realigning our hearts with the reality of the universe that God is on the throne. And by the way, the offering or sacrifice of worship is not the song. The offering or sacrifice of worship is me. <laughs> when I'm saying that, God, you are king, I'm saying I am subject. When I'm saying, Lord, you are my Lord, I am your servant. That's the offering of worship. That's what's happening in the room. And it's, it's like it's, it's a cleansing, realigning reality. That's what we do. We, we teach. We encourage. And then the last one is rebuke. Is this okay? Is it okay to rebuke? Oh, no, no. You can't do that anymore. You'd be judging. Do I need to go back to that again? No. I, and, and understand, he's talking about in the context of a community. He's not talking about rebuking to hurt people or destroy people. He's talking in love. And if you've ever, you know, Scripture talks about the rebuke of a friend. Have you ever been rebuked by someone who you, knows, who, who you know loves you, is committed to you, sees you. That is a precious thing. And it's not fun. doesn't mean it's fun. But man, the problem is too many people don't have that. A safe place where they can be taught, they can be encouraged, have the flames fanned of their gifts and their heart and all that, but where they can also, when needed, get a rebuke from someone who loves them. We're supposed to do that. See, we move from this personal rights and my own individualism to relational responsibility. That's what, he's, that's what he's talking about. And a rebuke of a friend is a beautiful, powerful thing. That's why we believe so much in community. It's so important to us. The best measure of who you are on the inside is who you're becoming on the outside. That's what he's talking about. It starts here. This is what's real. But it moves to the outside. And the last thing, so important. From the illusion of permissiveness to the transformation of grace. From the illusion of permissiveness to the transformation of grace. See, we have butchered the concept of grace. We think grace means permissiveness. That's the bachelorette's problem. She's misunderstood. And and she is not alone. She's been taught that. She has been taught that. It doesn't matter what you do, man. It's all grace, man. That's just ridiculous. I am sorry. See, grace is not permission to sin. Romans 6 specifically says that. He says, because of grace, should I sin more? No, of course not. But here's an interesting thing about grace. Grace, we're told, in Romans 2, 4, God's kindness leads to repentance. Grace and repentance always go together. And there really is a little bit of a which came first, the chicken or the egg thing going on here. Because God's kindness leads to, when we understand God's grace for us, when we don't deserve it, when we're sinful. And we receive that. That cultivates and encourages the heart of repentance. See, if we're, our heart is not repentant. Repentance is that thing that says, I was doing it my way. I don't want to do that anymore. My way was hurtful. I want to turn from that. That's repentance. That, that is a core basis of salvation. A core basis of salvation. You can't be saved if you aren't repentant. And so that's the problem. That's the problem. If we're sitting and saying, well, you know, I'm going to, I, hey, I'm sexually free and that's what I do and I don't care what the word of God says, but Jesus loves me anyway. It's true. He does love you anyway. That is right. But you are not saved. You're not walking in that. We don't earn, we don't earn our salvation by doing right. But when we have no desire to change, no intention to change, don't th- we don't even think we need to change. Well, why do we need to be saved in the first place? that heart of repentance, by grace you saved through faith. Faith is the belief that says, I understand who he is, I believe what he says, and I need him. Look what Paul wrote to Titus. We read this earlier. Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. We get that, and that is awesome, isn't it? Isn't that awesome? His grace. The grace of God appeared that offers salvation to all people. Look what else it says about grace. It, what is it? Grace. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self control. There's that word again upright and godly lives in this present age. Grace shapes us and it changes us. Grace is unmerited favor based on unconditional love, and that's what God has poured out for us. It gives us a salvation we don't deserve. Grace transforms our heart and our spirit. And it also gives us the power to live differently. It enables us to do what we never could do. Grace is amazing. But it's not cheap. It is not cheap. It's not permissiveness. We need to understand that. I can't do a thing to earn my salvation. But when I have really received His grace, it changes me. And I will tell you, for salvation, there are two requirements biblically and they're just heart conditions they're not actions they're not works they're not anything but i have to be repentant i have to know i need a savior and i have to believe that he can faith repentance and faith and if i don't have those things i can go to church i can say lord lord doesn't make me a christian doesn't make me a follower of jesus some someone asked last night, well, what does that mean? If, if, like, if I'm following Jesus and I, and I sin, but I don't, I forget to repent and I die in a car accident on the way home, am I going to hell? Of course not. Of course not. It's not like some scorecard. It's not by your acts or your works that you are saved, but your salvation will change your acts and your works. Does that make sense? It's the truth. This is what Paul said. For by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. Listen, on the contrary, this is how grace impacted him. I worked harder than any of them. but it was not I, but the grace that is within me. Now grace changes my heart. It makes me want to serve him, want to be different, want to, to listen for his voice and do what he says. It changes me. But then you realize, wait a minute, is it me doing it? No, it's the grace within me. It's his presence, his power. I love this verse of the hymn, Come Thou Fount. It says, Oh, to grace how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So here's my heart. O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above.
1: That's Pastor Sean Azaro. You've been listening to Reaching for Real Life Radio. And if you'd like to hear this full message in the series, The Faith, based on the book of Titus, it's available right now on demand at reallife.org. And while you're there, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a note that this program blessed you, or even better, your financial gift helps this radio ministry continue. Find that Give tab at reallife.org. But of course, you're invited to visit and join us at River City Community Church, located on Lookout Road, right behind Rotama Park, next to the Real Life Amphitheater. If you'd like to call the church, the number is 210-490-5262, as Reaching for Real Life Radio is a service of River City Community Church. and We hope you join us again next time for more Real Life.